Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Excited to jump back into 2 Timothy today with you. Hopefully you got your Bible in front of you and your outline open as well as we jump into chapter 2, into this rich, tiny but rich letter, letter that will take us up to the uh, Advent season, so into October and into November, and we'll wrap up as we get into the first week of December, we'll begin our Advent season. But uh, today, just looking forward to opening God's Word with you. That is the centerpiece of why we gather. That is the means through which God works His Word as we sing it, as we pray it, as we preach it, as we hear it. God's Word, as we're going to see today, is not bound. It is free to roam and transform our hearts and lives. We pray for us. Lord, bless us through this Word today. Open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say as we look at 2 Timothy again today. Um, transform us, change us, and encourage us, convict us, give us hope in the gospel today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've got some family friends of ours who were uh, visiting us um, last week. They were passing through here uh, in Canby. Uh, actually, they made a, a road trip here. They were up in, in Washington. Uh, some family friends of ours, a married couple who are in their mid-50s, and they've just uh, become grandparents for the first time, which a lot of you I know have experienced and are joyful and uh, as grandparents, uh, they were willing to go a, a long distance with grandkids, to see grandkids, as I know um, a lot of you are as well. Well, they have a son who, uh, who had this child with his, his wife, a son who's in his late 20s, and their daughter-in-law, and they live in North Carolina. But their daughter-in-law's parents live in Washington. So this last week, our friends, the mom, uh, the grandma, flew out to Washington with uh, the daughter-in-law and the newborn to move her and the baby there. Uh, and the dad's going to stay in North Carolina. Why? You might think. You might think, well, what's going on with this family? I mean, it, it's so much work to get the baby stuff out there, to set up shop in Washington and her parents' home while her husband stays in North Carolina. They're not separating. Um, they're, they're not splitting up. Uh, he's about to head off for five months uh, as a special ops soldier in the Army. He's heading off somewhere, on a mission somewhere. No telling how long he'll be gone or what could happen to him, obviously, when he's there. So they are taking some extraordinary precautions. It's her first baby, a newborn. So who wants to be alone in a strange town away from your parents if your husband's heading off? They're taking extraordinary precautions and measures because he's heading into an extraordinary situation of battle. The soldier heading off to war. Here's a question for us. Do you view your, your pastor, that'd be me, or <laughs> your elders as men who need to take extraordinary measures because they are in an extraordinary situation? Do you view your pastor as your elders or maybe even yourself this morning as a spiritual soldier? A spiritual soldier. As a follower of Jesus. Do you view your spiritual life as a battle, as a war, or understand the extraordinary measures that are needed to, 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 to grow, to change, to speak the truth? It's a big question. It's the question that Paul addresses today in 2 Timothy, uh, even as this family that we know took extraordinary measures because it was an extraordinary situation with the husband going off to war, we too in the church are going to be asked today to take some extraordinary measures. The phrase, no pain, no gain, right? How many of you have heard that phrase before? I think all of us. 
No pain, no gain. It rings true in most of life. But there's something that happens when we come to our spiritual life. We tend to doubt it. Why do we doubt it so much when it comes to spiritual life and, and growth in, in, uh, as a disciple or in our gospel witness? Well, this Sunday, Paul encourages a timid Timothy to suffer for the gospel by pointing him to the hero of that gospel and the model and the method we're going to call them to passing it on, to passing it on, to, to, to flourishing in spiritual life and in ministry for our church, for our lives, for our families. This morning, we're going to look at four basic practices and encouragement uh, that Paul lays out in this passage in 2 Timothy 1-13. 1, 1 and three metaphors as well. You might have heard them when I, when I read. Three metaphors that describe the Christian's ministry or the Christian's life. So take a look at that outline as we look at the first of the four practices of encouragement this morning. We find strength. You can find strength in this life in grace. We find strength in grace. It's the first of our four practices of encouragement this morning. Verse 1 says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's kind of like Paul saying to Timothy in that verse there, um, don't care about what others think of you. Stand strong. Uh, you, you, Timothy, Hold your ground. Be firm uh, by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what others say of you. Stand strong, be firm by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul could have said to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, you know, you're timid. I know. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. Or he could have said, you know, get it together, Timothy. Or uh, that, that famous phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Timothy. Or he could have said, just, just try harder, Timothy. He could have said any one of those things to a floundering young pastor who was timid. Or uh, that most often quoted uh, aphorism that's actually not in the Bible, God helps those that help themselves. Right, right. He could have said any of things, those things to Timothy, but that would not have been helpful. Would not have been helpful. We're in the midst of suffering or in the midst of a trial or in the midst of needing endurance that life always needs us. If somebody comes along, how much does that help? Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on. Pull it together. Uh, yeah, just try a little harder. Stick with it. You got this, right? You, on the surface, you might go, well, thanks for the encouragement. But inside, you're going like, that didn't help me at all, right? It didn't help. Just, that would be just asking Timothy or us to be stoic. Grin and bear it. That's kind of what stoic means. Be grin and bear it when suffering comes or, or when challenges come. But God gives us so much more than that. As Paul gave to Timothy, this was a call for Timothy and for us not to be strong in himself or in yourself, but to be strong inwardly through Christ. That's what Timothy needed. Not just a little pithy phrase of snap out of it or get it together or pull yourself up. He needed to be strengthened from the inside out, as I know many of us do today as well. You need this. I need this. To live day by day, hour by hour, verse 1 is saying, by the grace that is available in Jesus because of our union with Him, it's available. That's what we need. 
And that's what Timothy needed. And Paul is going to give, we're going to see in just a moment, some strong, strong exhortations to Timothy and to us. Some strong words. And so he knows that extraordinary precautions need to come before those exhortations. Because he's going to tell Timothy to, to work hard. He's going to tell him to work hard, but from the inside out. With a heart and a life filled with grace. When we think about God's kingdom, or the kingdom ethic, you might call it, or the way Jesus works, it's kind of always a upside down. You might call it an upside down, or, or uh, reverse of what you might think. When we come to how God expects us to live, or His way. You know, the world says you come to a challenge. Come to a difficulty in life. And you do hear those phrases I kind of mentioned. Or, have a stiff upper lip. There's another one. Have a stiff upper lip. Or how about this one? Help me finish this one. Uh, if you want something done right, you... You got to do it yourself, right? Those are the phrases. That's how the world handles suffering. Challenges. Um, moments of, of doubt. Of struggle in life in relationships, in the church, in ministry. Get a stiff upper lip. But the mighty apostle said at one of his most trying moments, not just be strong to be strong, or not just I tried a little harder. He said this, take a look. This is Jesus speaking to Paul, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. There's that upside-down ethic. When I am weak, then I am strong. If you find yourself today in need of lots of strength, overwhelmed with life, you are the perfect candidate for a fresh dose of God's grace. That's right where He meets you. That's right where He meets us. When we're weak, because when we're weak and we acknowledge it, we're actually acknowledging reality. Because we're not actually as mighty and as strong and as able to imp uh, impact and bring about change as we think we are. We're actually acknowledging reality and seeing God rightly as the all-supplying giver of, of everything, of grace, of mercy, of life, of salvation. When I am weak, then I'm really strong. You see how that's kind of this upside-down way to look at the world. Our weakness kind of becomes um, the backdrop. You know, when they take out diamonds what do they lay them up against so they look really good yeah a black piece of felt right you know they hold them up like this and just against the hand or in the air they don't look as good but you put them up against that black piece of felt and what do they do they pop don't they they sparkle they shine our weakness is like that it's like that back that black velvet backdrop but against that what shines out god and his grace and his mercy and our strength is in that. And we're filled with grace again when we see that. Maybe it's an illness for you. Maybe you've been double-crossed by somebody. Maybe it's just the stress of your job. Or just some unknown in your life today. Just something. 
that you wish you had the magic eight ball for, you know those things? You shake it and you're like, you know, we, we wish God was like a magic eight ball, don't we? Shake it, look at it, what's the answer? Maybe it's that for you today. Just something you don't know. What did Paul say? You then, my child, be strengthened in Jesus' grace. Remember God's grace. And you can find it. Where do you find God's grace? You can find it in so many places. Again, over and over. We might, you might call them the means of grace. It's through the ways through which God has chosen to work. There's a, a bunch of them. His Word. When you pray. Coming on a Sunday morning. It's a means of His grace. Fellowship with a Christian brother or sister. Singing out is a means of grace. Life groups. Serving somebody else is a means of grace. The Lord's Supper that we have is a means of grace. All those ways we can take advantage of them. Pray as Paul did if you're in need of that grace today to the, for the Ephesian church where Timothy was a pastor. Look at what he said. He prayed that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we need. That's what you need. It's our first encouragement today to go to Jesus daily to find strength in his grace. But Paul must have known that ministry, because he's talking to Timothy and all of us, that ministry is hard. Because he now goes on to give us the encouragement, the model of uh, how not only to guard the gospel we talked about last week, but to pass it on to. And here's our second encouragement. We are called, you and I, myself, all of us, to pass on the torch of truth in this passage. You're called to pass on the torch of truth. Look at verse 2, he says, And what you've heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Pass on the torch of truth. All of us have seen at one time or another the Olympic torch, right? Uh, the start of the Olympics, and they have that torch, and it starts out, I forget how long it was before the Olympics, but it's days and weeks, I think. And they carry this torch and, uh, and, and light this flame and carry this torch on this flame. You know, the longest Olympic torch uh, race traveled uh, 85,000 miles. That's a long way. 85,000 miles. I think it was for Beijing. Uh, China's a massive nation. And, um, and about every time they do this, uh, 12,000 different people take this torch uh, or take a torch and pass off this flame. 12,000 people. It's traveled by plane, uh, by camel, by boat. Uh, the summit of Everest, and I read somewhere it's even gone to outer space. I don't know how they did that, uh, but I read it somewhere, so it must be true, right? Uh, but here's the thing. The torch actually isn't passed on. They, every single person has their own torch. The flame itself is what is touched to the next torch, and that's actually what's passed on. And that is what Paul is describing for you and I here. One life that has the deposit of truth that the letter is called it, the gospel, one life that has the deposit of truth touching, bumping into, running into another life with that truth and passing it on and passing it on and passing it on. That's what he's talking about here. 
It's a model for us, and, and it was, it was for Timothy and us as a church. It looks a little bit like this for some of you visual learners. Every once in a while I like to put in a graphic form. Here's what it looks like. Jesus came with this message to Paul. Paul didn't make up this message. Remember in chapter 1, verse 12, he said it was deposited to him. The message of salvation in Christ. It was given to him. We know on that road to Damascus, he interrupted his life. That was a big torch moment, right? That was a flaming fireball from heaven to Paul, right? Jesus passed it on to Paul. It was deposited to him. Divine revelation. So Paul's saying, I didn't make this up. It was given to me by God. And so now, Paul, Timothy, I've passed it on to you. Timothy, as you've heard me speak the gospel in public, in the presence of many witnesses. So it wasn't something to be kept secret. It's like a burning torch for all to see. It wasn't something to be kept secret. It was done in the presence of many uh, witnesses, not just for a few, secret few. You might call it public truth, not just private individual truth. It's public truth for all to see, share and spread. So Timothy heard it from Paul, and he caught it as it was taught in his presence and as he did ministry with Paul. And then in the church, Timothy then has to take it and pass it on to faithful men. To t- pass it on to faithful men. To raise up leaders with two qualities. Two qualities. They must be faithful. So that means character matters in leadership. And it's actually probably the most important thing. A person's character as a leader. But apt to teach as well. And then they're able, them, to pass it on to others. That's the model. It's the model for you and I to, to pass on the torch of the gospel. That's, our, that's actually our primary calling, even, you might say, as a church. I mean, think about this for a moment. I want to think. If you've trusted Christ today, if you have placed your faith in Christ today, you've had somebody in your life somewhere Someone pass on to you the gospel. And likewise, they did it before them. And it's traveled many miles, think about this, from where it originally began to get here today. Traveled by plane, right? By camel, by boat, the summit of Everest, maybe even to space. It's probably been there, that flame. Or you could say as we think about this letter, that it's gone from a dungeon in Rome to Timothy to the church, to Canby, Oregon today. Think about that. It's kind of like this incredible giant web. It's like a big spider web where the gospel started and it's just fanned out from there. And each person in our life has this connection back to somebody before them as it's been passed on. But as I think about my own life, and I think about actually every church I've ever been a part of even, I don't think we do this enough in the church or talk about this enough or focus on this enough, this, this transmission, this passing on of a torch. But why do you think that is? I think because it's messy. <laughs> Number one, it means we have to have enter into relationships with others. So it means sacrifice. It means spending time with somebody you might not choose to spend time with on a daily basis. It means entering into relationships which are just messy in of themselves. It means training and passing on the deposit of truth. So it's hard work, actually. It's really hard work. 
train up the next generation of not only leaders, but disciples to carry on that torch. And really what we have here is a model of, of discipleship. Faithful men and women training others. It's really a call to make disciples, especially down at that bottom line there, disciples who will then in turn make disciples. Fishers of men, Jesus called them. It's, re- it's the reason our life groups are so important. And the role of our life group shepherd is so vital because that's faithful men passing on to others. That's what we're doing there. We're doing what Paul has called Timothy to do. And it means also for me then as a pastor and our elders, we have to have our eye on even up-and-coming leaders. We can get blinded to that, our eye on people. But you don't have to be an elder or pastor to do this. You don't have to be an elder or pastor to do this. So the questions we've been asking through Timothy and even in Philippians, who are you pouring into? Who are you bumping up into like that torch in your life? It doesn't have to be in, in life groups. It doesn't even have to be in an official ministry of Bethany Church. But it has to happen. It needs to happen if we're to pass it on. Extraordinary measures for extraordinary situation. We are at war, a spiritual war. And life is hard, and being a disciple is hard, and it leads us to our third encouragement. If the first was we find strength in the gospel, the second was we, the model to pass on the torch, the third is the method we do it, we have to endure for the gospel. We have to endure for the gospel. We live in, I think, in an age when it's getting, I think I would say easier, or easier to give up the gospel, maybe that means it's more difficult to hold on to, I guess, is what I'm saying, or convenient, or self-preserving to, to jettison, to kind of to to kick off the deck of the ship those truths that are kind of like a little hard, or we feel like it's weighing down the boat a little bit too much. We need to get that kind of off the deck, and, or at least get it real <laughs> under the deck so people don't see it, right? I feel like we're kind of in an age like that. But Paul doesn't give us that option. Take a look at verse 3 of chapter 2, 3 through 7. He says, sorry, I flipped the first Timothy. That wouldn't help us, would it? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The third is the method, how we do it. We have to endure. We have to endure. But Paul gives us three metaphors, three metaphors to encourage us this morning, to inspire us, to promote uh, a healthy church, really, a healthy ministry, um, a healthy spiritual life and a gospel that will live on once a generation passes away. So let's look at them real quickly, these three metaphors. They make it really clear that we do this by grace alone. When you look at them, when you see what Paul is asking Timothy and us to do, it's by grace alone. Here's the first one. It's the focused soldier. We're talking some soldier imagery this morning. It's the focused soldier. What's your temptation when suffering comes? question we've asked before here. I want you to think about it. What's your temptation when conflict comes? You have your own unique tendency, 
the way you tend to respond. Uh, if you were to ask your significant other, the person that knows you best, they probably would know it even better than you and I, right? How do you respond? Is it anger? Is it maybe timidity, like, like a Timothy, kind of timid? Or remember my story at the grocery store line, the sweaty palms and the heartbeat? Is that how you respond? Or maybe a strong desire. Some of us have a kind of a flight response. Some of us have a fight response. Some of us have a flight response. I'm going to give up. I'm going to just quit. I'm out of here. I'm out, right? Well, Paul compares the life of a disciple here in the midst of conflict to a soldier. That's probably easier for some of us maybe who have served in the military to, to understand a bit more. But he compares it to the life of a soldier because he knows, and if you've lived your life much as a Christian, the calling is hard. Let's be honest. The calling to be a follower of Christ is hard. Jesus said, take up your recliner. No, sorry, take up your cross and follow me. Sorry, I got confused there. Yes, it's hard. Jesus uses that imagery for a reason. He's honest with us. Take up your cross and follow me. Paul knows it's hard. You know, I tend to react, I tend to react in life when challenges come, when trials come, with kind of this knee-jerk response, sort of, when, or when suffering comes, like, what? I'm living for you, God. Why is this happening? Okay? Or, or, or anger. There's times, right? God, I've been serving you all these years. I, I've been serving you. Why now? Why now, Lord? But it's pretty clear from this metaphor that God hasn't called us to a life, an easy life. You might say the easy chair life or easy living. But one of endurance, as the verse says. Like a soldier. Soldiers who are, who are focused. Focused on their task. A Christian soldier who wants to please the one who enlisted him. And who is that? Jesus Christ. The one who has enlisted you in his people, in his family, or with this metaphor, in his army. As a soldier for him. You might hear that though and say, well, I, my life doesn't seem to have too much conflict. Or even in my living out for the gospel, I haven't faced much conflict. It may be that God is calling you maybe a little bit more into the fray today. It's a little more even. A little step in. Or a little step out, we might say. We live our life outside these walls. Maybe he's calling you just a little bit even more out into the fray today. He's called us to live as Christian soldier. But again, it is by grace. Because Christ not only commands, what he commands, he enables. What he commands, he strengthens us for. He protects his soldiers. Take a look at Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not yours, not mine, put on the whole armor of God. There's that soldier metaphor. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That sounds like a battle, doesn't it? I don't think of those terms a lot. Do you? That there is a spiritual war raging around us. There's a world unseen that we don't see. And there's a battle taking place. And you know what the battlefield is? It's every single heart in this world. That's the battlefield. 
But we have an armor, don't we? And we have something that God has given us. His strength, His might, the armor. Here's, here's what it is. It's, it's listed here for us. Just to look at it again. These are things, these are means of grace actually too. So that we can endure. A belt of truth. I'm not going to pack them all today. A breastplate of righteousness, living for Him. A gospel, a good news of peace between God and man. A shield of faith to protect us. A helmet of salvation as we gird our mind and think through what the gospel is. A sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit given to us. And we've got the Word of God. We've got a lot, actually. He hasn't left us alone, naked on the battlefield. He's given us a full armor. Did did you notice it? Head, toe, toe. Head to toe are the means he's given you. Means of grace so we can endure. But we got to take advantage of them. You got to put them on, the verse says. We have to put them on, take advantage of them to endure as a soldier. That was the first one, from the focus enduring soldier to the rule keeping now, the competing athlete, the second metaphor that can encourage us today. The competing athlete. Last weekend we were at a Bowman's uh, farm. They had great stuff out there for kids to do and run around, and a lot of you probably been out there. And we were watching uh, the giant pumpkin weigh-in competition. You ever been out there for that? I know a couple of you grow pumpkin, big pumpkins too, I think I've heard before in our congregation. And they were, the heaviest pumpkin on that day was um, like 2,000 pounds. Yeah. 2,000 pounds, like a little VW. It was like, but instead of winning the competition, you know what happened to that pumpkin? It was dropped from a 110-foot crane. It had broken some of the rules in the competition. Not on purpose, I don't think. It had a hole in it. It had compromised. It had broke the rules. It was disqualified, I guess, because you could put lead inside it, I guess, through a little hole. That's my guess, at least, if they're weighing them. Um, It broke the rules. Athletes, even pumpkin growers, have to keep the rules. Athletes compete to keep the rule, uh, by keeping the rules. And we love watching them, don't we? A good athletic competition. I loved watching a 2,000-pound pumpkin drop from 100 feet. That was fun. We love watching a good performance or an underdog team or uh, a, a, a record-breaking performance in the Olympics. We love watching that, but I'm never going to attempt that, are you? No. I'm not going to attempt that. That's crazy, right? A marathon in a couple hours or, you know, diving off a 100-foot board? Um, no. But it, it takes us up further. How many of us are going to train like them? You are? No, we're not. No. I mean, that's, that's hours and hours and hours. That's a lot. That's a lot. At least most of us won't. Some will go that route. But most of us won't train like them. We wouldn't dare attempt something like that. It's grueling. Well, here... As we serve, as we live, as we minister in the church and the community and the Christian life, God doesn't give us that option there. He doesn't give us that option there. And what Paul is really calling Timothy to here is a life of holiness. An athlete who plays by the rules, who competes fairly according to the rules. It's a call to personal holiness. To be concerned with what God calls right and wrong, and good, and beautiful, and true, or not true, all of those things, and to live accordingly, like a competing athlete, you and I, to live. Now, of course, it's not rule-keeping 
for the sake of being saved. It's not rule-keeping for the sake of, of justification. But I think what uh, John Stott, a pastor and commentary, said about it's helpful. He said, though, there is no crown otherwise. Not, of course, because our law-abiding could ever justify us, but rather because without it, we give evidence that we've never been justified. Does that make sense? To love the king is to love his way of life. To love Jesus is to love what he loves. To follow Jesus is to follow his footsteps. Of course, not to be saved. But if you call yourself a Christian and yet you're never taking a look at your own life or, or self-examining, and, or in this terminology, am I playing by the rules, you know? Scott says here, of course not to be saved, but every Christian has some evidence of it. Some evidence of a desire to grow more like their Savior. He says there is no crown otherwise. Or uh, the Christian poet William Cowper said it this way too, which is really, I like how he said it. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty rules into choice. Do you see that? you see the difference there? It's not just good for the sake of good, it's good for the sake of love. Changes duty into choice. A slave who's living by the law to be good has become a child of God. All of a sudden sees the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, the rules, whatever you want to call them, as beautiful. From the inside out. From the inside out, Paul says. The focused enduring soldier. The delight to play by the rules as a competing athlete. And finally, the hard-working farmer. The third descriptor of the hard-working farmer. The hardest-working farmer reaps the harvest, don't they? They reap the harvest. The lazy farmer, Proverbs talks a lot about, doesn't reap anything or toil or doesn't, just doesn't reap anything good. I think it's shocking to us, the people, at least it is to me, I hear all the time that we're saved by sheer grace, and we are. Saved by grace alone. And yet still hear something like this that you, you need to work hard. It's kind of shocking. Saved by sheer grace, but your life will be full of plowing, toiling, striving, struggling. Whether it's, um, whether it's growth and holiness, we know that's hard, right? We know that's like a, a hardworking farmer. Or um, the work of, of, of dis- ministry, of discipleship, of sharing your faith. It's hard work. And I think it's, I think it's good to acknowledge that, isn't it? It's good to say that. It's good to all be on the same page and go, we know we're called to something that's way bigger than us. And Paul used these metaphors to let us see that. It's hard work. Even our own growth, it's hard work. I was talking to somebody in our congregation this week, and she was talking about her own Bible study. How many of you feel like when you come to the Bible, it's, it's hard? It's only hard to read. I mean, it's hard sometimes to apply. And yes, a lot of it, I think, on the surface, you know, even our kids can get, and we shouldn't shy away from the Bible because of that. They can grasp a lot more than we think, but it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work to stay focused and to read through a passage. It's hard work to even make time, isn't it, to open our Bibles. I have trouble with that. It's hard to find that. And yet I was talking to this person in our congregation, and she was talking about her Bible study, and she said, you know, it wasn't until in my life that I actually realized that it, 
Bible studies hard work and that I needed to do it and got serious about it. It wasn't until I did that that I, I actually began to change. I mean, it made all the difference in my life, she said. It made all the difference in my life. And Paul even says there in verse 7, if you think, look at it there, if you think hard, God will give you understanding. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. But if we do it, and even as we think and we're keeping this uh, topic of Bible reading and studying going, when you do it, at the center of it, here's what you'll find. Time and time again, the very thing you and I need to remember. Or any life and ministry, challenges that come up, when we endure through them as a disciple, we find time and time again the thing we need to remember. We finish with this encouragement. We need to remember, we must remember Jesus. It's where Paul takes Timothy again, believe it or not. We must remember Jesus. It's our fourth and final practice for encouragement. Take a look at 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, he says. And I love one of the songs they picked out today said that very thing in it. Remember. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's almost strange that Paul has to remind again Timothy now with this final passage. It's strange. He has to remind him to remember uh, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. But that's really what these final verses are about here, to remember him. But it shouldn't be that strange. Because sometimes I can't remember what I did the day before. How about you? Like, or for breakfast yesterday or breakfast today, what did you have? I asked some of us to be like, uh, coffee? It's hard. We forget. We are forgetful. And God's people, if we think about it, think about the message of the Bible, God's people have always uh, forgotten him. Remember, it's a theme. Remember, Old Testament. Remember, 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 remember. How could Timothy ever forget Jesus? Paul said, remember Jesus. Well, I think even Jesus knew that we could so easily drift off into other things. Jesus even knew it. What did he say about the Lord's Supper when he brought it out? Remember. Do this in remembrance of me. We must need lots of reminders. Uh, I know I do. We must need lots of reminders. Why is that, though? Because he himself, he is the gospel. He's the center of what we're to be about. He's the center of all these exhortations, all these metaphors. It's him. He is the center of it. He's the good deposit. He's what's been entrusted to Bethany Church. He's what's been entrusted to you, Jesus Christ. Yes, God has called us, you hear today, to a high, to a hard calling. And a calling to pick up our cross, to endure for the gospel, to even pass it on when it's not popular, to suffer for him, to focus on our own growth and holiness, to go after people with the message. And you're like, I, I could barely make my cup of coffee in the morning. That's kind of what this is. I love it one commentator I read this week said, when your tank is empty, here's what you remember. When your tank is empty, you see it popping up behind me there. When your tank is empty, remember the tomb is empty. I love that. And the throne is occupied. 
When your tank is empty, remember the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. That's what, that's what uh, Paul said here. Remember, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember, Jesus Christ risen from the dead because he's actually the ultimate guardian of the good deposit. It's him. He's the actual one. And his word is not bound, Paul says, even as Paul was in chains. Whatever's going on in your life, his word is not bound. And verse 10 says that, that God even had his people, his elect, that he was going to work on. That Paul would endure because of that. Because God had people that he was going to transform through the gospel. Paul called them his elect. It actually encouraged him to go forward in life. It was because God had his elect, Paul mentions here, that he was encouraged to preach because he knew it wouldn't return void. The word wasn't bound. There were people that God was working in, so I, I need to speak it and live it and share it, and it won't return void. It's not up to you and I. That's the freedom. It's up to Christ and his gospel. That's the freedom we have. God has his elect and can be too. In your life, people you're bumping into with the flame, the torch, he has them there too. Our job is to remember Jesus to them. That's our job. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Extraordinary measures, remember, because we are in an extraordinary situation. But I tell you, remember Jesus, because when we do and when we endure, it will be all worth it. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. Because he's the finish line. As a soldier, as a training athlete, not a wreath, it's not a medal, not a million bucks. He's the finish line. Working hard to reap that harvest. Let our closing just be the final verses. They come as an encouragement, but a warning too. Verse 11, this saying is trustworthy for if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure with him, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Let's pray. Lord, some hard words today, high words, uh, a, a big calling to live for you, and yet at the center of it was grace and mercy and Jesus Christ again in another passage. Let us be grateful for that. That the life we now live, we live because you died and we've died with you and we've raised with you. The strength we live by is the strength of you working in and out and through us. The armor we have is all grace from you. And the mission we're on, you are sovereignly working out, God. All of those things in that big passage today. So Lord, let us endure, and when our tank is empty, let us remember that the tomb's empty. Christ, name we pray. Amen.